0: Well, we're in this new series um, on the gospel, not the gospel, but the letter of 1 John, one of our readings from this week. So I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open it up to 1 John. Um, And I really would encourage you, you know, uh, to use a a real Bible, uh, one that has paper, uh, and there's some in front of you, uh, or at least on the pews, um, and just... Stay there in the book of 1 John with me as we as we talk about this tonight. We're really going to be in, in chapter 3 of 1 John. Uh, the title for our sermon tonight, uh, or the title for the series that we're in, is Fully Human, Love, Sin, and More Love, and A Little More Sin and A Lot More Love. That's the title. Um, it's going to get longer every single week until it takes up a whole page because um, it's it's a little long. But the point of the long title is... To help us remember the themes and the outline of the book of the Gospel of John. Um, last week we talked about the fully humanness of Jesus and of us, and today's tonight's Gospel reading reminds us of that, this notion of come and touch and see the resurrected Christ. And the, God, and the book of 1 John, in 1 John chapter 1, talks about that and revisits that. Today we're going to spend most of our time talking about the love of God. If I have enough time, we might talk a little bit about sin. But if not, we'll just pretend that sin doesn't exist for one more week, as most of us do. So, um, now we'll probably get to it. (laughs) Uh, Chapter 3 is really important because it offers us a really important summary statement uh, of not just the book of 1 John, but really a summary statement of the gospel. Uh, this statement is such a big deal and has been such a big deal throughout the history of the church. I remember having to sing a song uh, set to this verse when I was a little kid, and the tune is pretty dated, so I'm not going to try to sing it, uh, and that's the only reason. Um, but uh, but that song, I, and I'm really grateful, though, that the song just rattles around in the back of my head uh, and has for 30, 40, however many years, uh, and it sometimes comes into my consciousness, sometimes bidden, sometimes unbidden. But 1 John 3.1 says, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this, when He is revealed, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Let me pray for us. Lord, give us ears uh, to hear your word. Uh, Give us the ability to recognize the great depth of your love. And Lord, help us lean into our identity as your children. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. So 1 John 3 gives us an idea of what the love of God is like. It's the kind of love where we are made to be children of God. So let's define love for a moment. A a definition that we've used here on Saturday nights before is love is doing what is right and best for the other person, even at great cost to ourselves or something like that. And we all agree with that, right? That's what love is. Love is doing what's right and best for the other, even if it costs us a lot. That doesn't really sound warm and fuzzy, but it describes the kind of love that we're talking about. Many of us are familiar with the Greek word agape. This is the love of God. It's often described as an unconditional type of love, the type of love that God demonstrates, even though we have nothing to give him. God's love moves toward us before we know it, before we request it, and when we need it the most. We're not buddies with God. There's another Greek word to describe that kind of love. And the love between God and his people is not a romantic kind of love. There's another Greek word for that. But having said that, there is a quality of God's love that John brings out that I think is really important for us to pay attention to. We are loved in such a way that God makes us his children. God's love makes us his children. You don't have to be a parent to understand that kind of bond. John uses that image, the father-child, the parent-child bond, to teach us what God's love is like. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So to have a child is really to be attached to that child, even when the child doesn't want us to be attached back. We spend the early years of our children's lives helping them launch from the nest, and then we spend the rest of our lives coping with the success or failure of that by asking, won't you come home? When are you going to give me grandchildren? He's going to be a doctor? Those kind of things. That's what I've heard. Let's consider this word, though. I want us to consider the word attached. God is attached to us. Whenever we use a metaphor like this to describe our relationship with God, we are in danger of following the metaphor more than the reality. But I want us to risk it for a few moments. For God to be attached to us doesn't mean that he can't live without us. He certainly can. It does not mean that God is living his life through us like parents sometimes do their children, so I've been told. Instead, God's attachment is bound up with God's faithfulness. He loves us like a parent because that is what he is. He is our father. And while there is some continuity between God's parenthood and what human parents are supposed to be like, there remains this unknowable kind of love and attachment that God has with us that we cannot really understand simply because he's God, because he's so transcendent. So to say that God is our father is both to say Something that is a reality and a metaphor at the same time. It's a metaphor because we initially understand God through our experience with humans, with our parents. Specifically with mom and dad. That's one of the first places where we encounter this relationship or the idea of the relationship of God as our father. We rely on the metaphor because the reality that God is our father is just so beyond our capacity to grasp. Yet, and I think 1 John supports this, we can trust that the reality of God's fatherhood is greater and more beautiful than we can imagine. So I would just urge you, don't hold your perception of who God is to the limits of, of your earthly father or mother. And don't let the many ways that those people, and I'm speaking as one of them, have messed up, don't let that become a permanent block to you understanding and praying to God as father. 2 Timothy 2 repeats what must have been a really common saying among the early Christians. And I think it applies here This is uh, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 11. The saying is sure, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But if we are faithless, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That word attachment seems fitting here. That last line is especially telling, God cannot deny himself. In Christ, we are brought so close to God that he will will not deny us because he can't. It's apparently what Paul is saying in 2 Timothy. Christ's acceptance and reclamation of us is so complete that nothing will separate us from God. We've heard something like this elsewhere in Romans chapter 8. At the end of Romans 8, it says, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a lot that Paul said right there. Think about what might, what other category you might add in there that wouldn't fall under one of those things. This is the kind of love that we're talking about. On the one hand, it really is the love is doing what is right and best for the other person kind of love. It is that, but it is also this deeply paternal, affectionate, and attached kind of love that God has for his children. So let me be clear about what John is saying. He's not saying it's as if we are children of God. It's not a m- metaphor in that sense. John makes it clear that we are children of God. Now, if you don't, if you never read the J.B. Phillips version of the Bible, you really should because it's great. Um, and uh, J.B. Phillips was a, uh, uh, an acquaintance of C.S. Lewis. He was British. You can tell by the fact that he used initials for his first name. Um, you know, P.D. James, C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, C.F.D. Boole. We can go on and on and on and on. Uh, all initials. Um, HMS, Queen, or whatever. I don't know, that, that didn't work. Um, but J.B. Phillips translated this in the 50s, uh, the passage that we just read. Listen to how he puts it. Consider the incredible love that the Father has shown us in allowing us to be called children of God. And that is not just what we are called but what we are. Our heredity on the Godward side is no mere figure of speech, which explains why the world will no more recognize us than it recognized Christ. Also, if you didn't know he's British, you can just see how he spells words. That's the other thing. It's no mere figure of speech. We really are God's children. With Christ as our brother, we all have been made the children of God the Father. And with Jesus, we've been taught to pray to God in the same language, the same words that he uses, our Father. That's what we did a few minutes ago. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, I hope you pray it and you mean it. The our Father part especially, that God is our Father. And he wants to hear from us he wants us to speak to him so this being a child of god thing is really really important remember one of the most compelling stories of the love of god is the story of the prodigal son it should be called the story i think of the prodigal father the father who is so beside himself with joy at the return of a debauched and rebellious son that the dad loses all dignity, all decorum, at seeing his boy. He's the prodigal, the father is, because he is so wasteful in his celebration over this son who's come back. The story of the prodigal son is a parable, and parables are almost always comparisons of one sort or another, sometimes direct, sometimes indirect. The father in the story is like God the father. The son in the story is like all of us. John takes this idea further and says, we're not only called children of God, but that is actually what we are. With all the attendant blessings and responsibilities, we are God's children. God is attached to us. God is faithful to us. A break of fellowship on our side is serious business, but God's capacity to overwhelm and overcome our resistance to him is much, much greater. It's a horrible thing to consider what it would take for us to resist God so much that we could no longer be subjects of his love. Keep this in mind. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son well before his crucifixion and resurrection. His hearers respond to the story because it flies in the face of what so often occurred in their world, Theirs was a culture of honor and shame. A good child brought honor on his family by his behavior, and a bad child brought shame by misbehavior. Honor brought good treatment. Shame brought, oftentimes, disassociation. It happened so much that it was routine. So when Jesus tells a story about a father that runs to his child because of his great love for him, because of his agape love for him, it's the response of the father that is so unexpected it's not the child's return that is so unexpected that's why the power that's why the story has power that's why it was powerful to the people who first heard it the unexpected attached kind of love that the father demonstrates in the story of the prodigal son think back to the story the boy is in the far country and he's like i think i'll go back to my father and and just beg for mercy and maybe I can you know be a servant in his house that's not unreasonable that's exactly what I would have done did something like that right but it's the way the father acts that demonstrates the love of God and this kind of love is no longer just a parable it's not just a story this kind of love is made real for us in the book of 1 John, to be children of God. The power of Christ's resurrection is the power that creates the kind of love that makes people act like the prodigal father, that makes people make a fool of themselves for the love of God and for the love of one another. One of my favorite stories, some of you may know this story about Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb is a counselor, and later in life, uh, a writer and an author, and I think he died this past year, if I, if I remember correctly, but he, he met with a spiritual director once or twice a year, and actually, this story is not in my notes, and I don't think it's Larry Crabb now that I say that. He's great. Uh, this is actually about Brendan Manning, Um whole other story, same story, but I've got to tell it now that I've, I'm committed. Um, but Brendan Manning would meet with his spiritual director about once a year. And, and you want to know what made me think of this? Uh, never mind. It's ge- geography. The geography wasn't working in my, in my brain. So it's, it's uh, Brendan Manning meeting with his spiritual director once a year. This friend, this spiritual friend of his, and his friend explained to him, he says, Brennan, uh, we'll meet every day at this uh, boat dock, at this pier, whatever, a really crowded place. And, uh, and Brennan's like, well, wh- how will I see you? How will I know where you are? And he says, uh, you'll know me. You'll know me when you see me. And, uh, uh, and this was their first time, and this is how every uh, consecutive meeting would begin. And that is the man on the dock, the spiritual director, was jumping up and down until Brennan Manning got to him. Foolishly jumping up and down on this dock in the midst of this big crowd until Brennan Manning got to him. And it was his way of saying, it's great to see you. I'm so happy I'm, I'm leaping like a dog that hasn't seen his master for a couple of weeks. Or 30 minutes, depending on the dog, right? And this is the kind of silly, and I use that word purposefully, kind of love. It's the prodigal father kind of love. And it's the power of the resurrection that empowers God's people to make fools of themselves over love. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. There's more to come. We are God's children. Hallelujah. This is something to celebrate. But it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. It has not been revealed how far this child of God thing can go. How deep and powerful and overwhelmingly good our destiny is. It is all tied up in the person of Jesus, resurrected and glorified. But we have a destiny that is more than our experience of the present. This might be something that's difficult for us to appreciate. This is kind of traditional stuff. It's good old Christian teaching of life after death, heaven. But we need to remind ourselves that there's more to come. There really is so much more to come. I've shared this story several times, and I'll share. I'll try to do this briefly. It was 12 years ago or so uh, in Haiti. Uh, an old college friend and I would go down, and we would teach a group of pastors a variety of things. And basically, we would just take a lot of ideas down with us. And then, after meeting with uh, some of the main Haitian leaders there, we would decide what what direction we would take. And I really wanted to. Uh, uh, do some NT right stuff um, uh, on, from Simply Christian, and really emphasize uh, uh, the, the the present ministry of God uh, in what we're doing here on this earth, and and not so much emphasize life after death. I certainly believed it then and believe it now, but that was I just thought maybe we need to emphasize this. My buddy Blake had a whole s- uh, series of sermons like. 15 or 20 that was based on the subject of heaven and uh and he had a lot of uh excerpts from a book called heaven by randy alcorn some of you may have read this several years ago so we get down there and uh and we're having this conversation and eve the the primary leader of the of the haitian pastors down there he's like they're going to want to talk about heaven and uh and and we're like great tell, tell us more about that and he goes because life is really, really hard and horrible things happen. And their hope is heaven. He said, They're, these are great, faithful people today, and they are. But their hope was heaven. So as we begin our conversation with them the first day, Blake stands up. He says, hey, um, how many of you uh, have, uh, we, we know that a lot of you have suffered grief and so forth. How many of you have lost a spouse, room of about 30 men. Um, Over a third of them raised their hands. And these aren't ancient people. I mean, they're 30s, 40s, 50s. How many of you have lost a child? Over half had lost children. And all of a sudden I think, oh, no wonder. And I think, life is so good for us we sometimes fail to appreciate what is to come whatever it is that we should whatever it is that we shall be in the future whatever it is that we shall be is related to what christ is let me repeat that whatever it is that we shall be in the future is related related to what christ is in the present I've gone to a lot of funerals, and I've conducted a lot of funerals, and I've heard a a wide variety of things that people say, things that are meant to bring comfort to those who are grieving. And in our grief, I think we sometimes say things that are just totally sentimental and not very substantive. We'll say things like, well, he or she is in a better place, or they're with Ma or Pa now, or, you know, he really gets to throw the football as far as he used to and do all these variety of things. And that's, I don't know that that's a really bad thing, but I think it's a really incomplete thing. What is often forgotten is that the deceased isn't just going to a place and they're not just in a new state of being that is really, really pleasant. But they are now experiencing God in a manner that we don't get to. Our experiences after death are not simply a repeat and an amplification of our best moments on earth. Life after death is Christ. Life before death is Christ. What we hope for, what we wonder about when it comes to our interactions with Jesus are made manifest to those who precede us to the grave. Beloved, we are God's children. What we will be has not yet been revealed. And let me just wrap it up by coming back to some things that, to the words of J.B. Phillips again. Here and now we are God's children. We don't know what we shall become in the future. We only know that if reality were to break through, we should reflect his likeness, for we should see him as he really is. I love that line. If reality were to break through, we should reflect his likeness, for we should see him as he really is. And how can we quote J.B. Phillips without also quoting St. Eugene on the same verse? It's been at least a week since we've heard his words probably, right? This is the same passage from the message. He says, but friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. That's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? I love the way It's a great question, and he doesn't end it with a question mark. Um, Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him, and in seeing him, become like him. All of us who look forward to his coming, stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. That is hope, and that's a hope rooted and based in the love of God. Now we are God's children, but there is more to come, and that which is unknown to us we have yet to see. But we know this. We know what is to come is wonderful because it is like Christ. We shall see him as he is. And we shall be, even just a little bit, we shall be like him. Even just a small amount. And I would love it if we would do this for one another. When we see that happen now, tell each other. You know, that was a little bit Jesus-y of you right there. Was a, you, you were a little bit like Jesus, or you were a lot like him, if that's the case. I'm pretty sure when people say that to us, I don't think we're going to start getting big heads over that. But I think it's a sign of hope and a recognition that God is at work in our lives even now. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that both as we receive the bread and the cup tonight and as we depart from this room or from wherever we are, I pray that we would recognize and experience and feel what it means to be the child of God our Father, who is attached to us, who cares about us, who's paying close attention. Lord, help us experience what it means to be your child. We offer this in the name of Jesus, amen.